So, welcome to church. Did I say that? <laughs> Wonderful. It is Sunday, and it is a big day. And even the launch is more than just another meeting, another church. No, it's God's kindness. And um, I'm not that clever, and we're not that clever. And God's faithfulness and, and His gospel that is profound. And I ask that today, even as you think and you take time out, pray for everything. If you can't make it across, that's fine. But please pray for us. Please pray for that the right people would come, that people who've seen the advertising, we've got posters in the city, uh, thousands of flyers have gone all over, Facebook stuff, personal invitations. Please pray that those seeds would find good soil, that people who need the love of Jesus would encounter. That's why we do what we do and everything we do what we do. I want to read John 10, 10. As we jumped in last week, we had our Vision Sunday. Was that good? Was that helpful? And uh, explain some of you like, wow, we got this on the wall. Maybe it makes sense now. But, um, but as we navigate this year, we really feel that God is wanting to open us and show us and challenge us in terms of His promise for this side of eternity that there is life, comma, and life in abundance in Jesus. This is not some prosperity message to get the church excited. This is the promise of Jesus. These are His words to His disciples, to His followers at this time. But He presents it in John 10, 10, where He presents Himself as a good shepherd. And uh, I said it last week, but maybe say it again, just one. I am a sheep. Can you say that with I am a sheep. Go bah. No, don't do that. I was just, you know, you don't have to do everything. I was testing you. And the ones who went by are the sheep. <laughs> but it's an amazing thing. Jesus says, I'm coming as a shepherd, and I'm giving you, and I'm calling you this picture of sheep, those who need a shepherd. And we often give ourselves way too much credit for our ability to navigate life. Is that not true? We give ourselves way too much credit for our ability to tackle situations and scenarios. And it's only when massive things come that we cannot handle, we start looking for leadership. We start looking. Jesus said, I didn't come as a leader, a president, a CEO. I didn't come as any of those things. I came to be your good shepherd. And in the light of that, he's presenting to his disciples this truth. He said, and, and he's speaking to the Pharisees at this time. He's challenging them in terms of their perceptions and their understandings. This is John 10, chapter 1, verse 1. Very truly I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some, some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all, all, when he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate of the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He's speaking to the Pharisees, to the religious of the day, saying, you don't get it. It's, it's only through me. I'm the sheep. I'm not just the shepherd. I'm the way. I'm the gate through which there is a way to life. 
And there's an enemy, and there's a lion, there's a robber, and he's shouting lies, and his agenda and all of that is to rob, steal, and destroy. Rob, kill, and destroy. I keep getting that wrong. That, that's his agenda. There's no other agenda to the enemy. The enemy is not there to entertain all his deceptions and all his lies. That is his whole agenda. But Jesus says, I have come that they may have life. And then he says this amazing thing, and I love it that there's a comma. I've never loved a comma so much in my life. I wish I loved a comma more in English. It would have helped a lot when I was at school. But I love the fact that there is a comma and have it to the full. Have it in abundance, meaning excessive in quantity, superior in quality, in all ways excessive and overwhelming. And the problem is our thinking. The problem is not his ability to live up to his promise. The problem is we stop at life. I've got life beyond death. And Christianity becomes about having that insurance that when you pass away, you will have life beyond death. Oh, that's enough. And Jesus said, no, I never just came to give you life beyond death. Yes, I did. And I've given that and I'll give that freely. But you know what I've also got for the church? I've got life. Life now. Life in the midst of trial, in the midst of challenge. Excessive life and joy. I had the privilege of preaching at a conference, a conference or a training for church planters this week from around South Africa and actually outside Africa, South Africa as well. And I just said, guys, we don't need more grumpy pastors. Yes, I agree. We don't need more grumpy preachers who are so angry because we need life. And the people need to see that when you read the Word of God, there's life. Because the life in Jesus is astounding. And we can access that life, and whether we're at the top of the mountain or the bottom of the valley, the same life, an abundant life, is available to those who choose to not just decide to access it, but to believe His promises. But it has an implication, and the implication is this. Because of abundant life, don't stop. Because of abundant life, don't settle. Don't settle for less. And the enemy, I mentioned it last week, but Jesus gets tested in the desert and he gets tried and he's just fasted for 40 days and he's weak. And the enemy says, you can have all of this. And Jesus, even in a weakened state, goes, this? Why would I settle for this? When my father made all of this. Look up. He made this and this. Why would I settle too often, too many believers are too quick to settle and not throw wholeheartedly faith and trust in Jesus. And lastly, don't struggle. Trust in not white-knuckle Christianity, but the abundant grace that is found in Jesus that is tangible and is a currency for the believers who will access it. These are challenges not just to the way we live. It's challenges to our thinking first and foremost. I, I honestly, and I've preached many times, our orthodoxy, what we believe about God, Challenges and strives and pursues and shows us our orthopraxy, how we live that out. And our thinking is a huge part of that story. And I'm telling you, we have to believe the words of Jesus. The gospel shouts at us, don't stop, don't strain, don't struggle, don't settle for less. So today, I just want to encourage us with a simple, don't stop. Don't stop. Maybe you're here and in your marriage you've stopped. Maybe you have in the pursuit of friendships and joy, you've stopped because depression's been a part of your story for so long. Don't stop. Maybe there hasn't been breakthrough in health issues. I'm saying don't stop. There is life in Jesus, and as long as there is a pulse, you have the ability and the freedom to pursue the abundant life He has for you. Don't stop. In the endeavors that He calls you to, don't stop. For us in our 21st year as a church, it's our 21st birthday. <laughs> 
And uh, that's exciting. Keep asking Josh, what's it like to be 21? As I'm almost double that now. And um, still navigating that. I'm claiming 21 times 2. It's just easier to process. And, um, but, but it's an exciting time of life. And I want us to, as a church, and if you're new to the story, if, if you walked in today for the first time, we're in an exciting time of life. God's calling us to adventures in Him. Exotic times of worship, times we pursue Him with passion and zeal. We put every other agenda aside. That's part of the abundant access we have. To go into hospital rooms, not begging and pleading a master who's distant, but to trust Him that He's the healer and He is present and He is kind and He is gracious and He is able. To trust Him for these things in this year. And planting a church is just part of that story. It's just part of it. Why? Because we love it when Jesus transforms lives by His love and His grace and His kindness. But I want to read from Hebrews 12 today. Just a scripture, you've heard it before, Hebrews 11, and we see all the heroes of the faith. The book of Hebrews is written to a people who are tired. These are Christians who are potentially weary of doing good. They are weary of following the way, and they are potentially in a position where they might drop their guard. They might get weak. They, they might say, actually, I'm going to put it all aside. I want to stop trusting Jesus. We don't know exactly who the author of Hebrews is, but he writes the strong messages and he encourages and he does it by fixing their eyes on Jesus. And he takes this whole book to present the perfection of Jesus. And he gets to right near the end, chapter 12, and he positions them in, in the heroes of the faith in chapter 11. And chapter 12, he kicks off like this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the, mace, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. It says, consider Jesus. Every day when you get up in the morning as you're fasting and you're praying, consider Jesus. Consider his passion. Consider his love, consider his sacrifice, consider him in all things. When we take communion as a community, we are considering Jesus. But can I read that same scripture from the message version, which is a Eugene Peterson translation of that? And he puts it such an incredible way, which might help us this morning. Do you see what this means? All these pioneers who blazed the way, all these veterans cheering us on. It means we better get on with it. Strip down, start running, and never quit. No extra spiritual fat, no parasitic sins. Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race we're in. Study how he did it, because he never lost sight of where he was headed. That exhilarating finish in and with God, he could put up with anything along the, cr the way. Cross, shame, whatever. And now he's there in the place of honor right alongside God. When you find yourselves flagging in your faith, go over that story again, item by item, that long litany of hostility he plowed through, that will shoot adrenaline into your souls. Who needs a little bit of adrenaline in their souls? I don't know about you, but sometimes in the long journey and sometimes with challenges and sometimes when the lights go out, I need adrenaline in my soul. And I do it by fixing my eyes on Jesus. And I love this challenge. He says, do you see all the pioneers? Do you see all the veterans who've gone before? 
even as we walk into that church tonight, I'm overwhelmed by the fact that for 187 years, Jesus has been praised there. 187 years ago, a pioneering people said, we're going to build something where Jesus can be worshipped. I love the fact that in that church and in that place, there has been restoration and healing. That was the first community in which this nation, where slaves were freely liberated to worship and participate fully in the life of a church. Now, as bad as the history is, I love the fact that we get to walk into a place where there's been restoration of justice and life. Why? Because I want to see it again. Because I want to be a part of a community who desires those things who desires freedom and life to come, not just to ourselves and our souls, but to the city of Cape Town at this time. I love the fact that we get to worship in a 187-year-old church, but many of the young people that are coming, the average age is young. And, and, and of the launch team of about 70 people who are 70, 80 people, the average age is probably late 20s. I love that. I'm saying, God, give us this generation. When we stop fighting for the next generation, we forget something of the mandate of the gospel that rests upon us. But I want to take a quick one-liner out of that Hebrews 12 and challenge us with it today. Strip down, start running, and never quit. It's a challenging line. And I just want to take those three points today as we navigate. It's a challenge because it's not speaking about it's challenging at such a level in, in the NIV it puts it this way: let us throw off everything that hinders. And the sin that so easily entangles. We live in a world where the philosophy is gather more stuff. He who dies with the most stuff wins. Isn't that like the philosophy of our world? It's just gather, gather. And we get entangled in all the things and people forget. And, and you have whole economies that are underpinned by financial debt. Because a philosophy underpins that environment, that culture of the more you have, the more you win. The apostle and, and whoever writes uh, Hebrews to challenge and to call this church to the more and to the abundance that God has him. He challenges his strip off. Don't gather on. Strip off. Strip off spiritual things that linger and people drag trailers around and Christians do it. I've met with people who've been in church for 50 years and he uh, sat with a man who said 50 years ago, my father did this to me and I've been in church ever since and I've never been able to give a given. That's been a trailer that he's traveled around for 50 years. Jesus told him on day one, you can let go of that trailer. But he walks around a trailer of pain, of disappointment, of, of, of experiences that went bad, of people who treated him wrong, of a, of a father who hurt him. So it's always affected, and that trailer's gone everywhere. And who knows he's been hindered by that trailer? Who knows that man wasn't made to carry trailers behind him full of luggage? And it never gets smaller. I don't know if you remember that TV ad where the, the monkey starts out small on the back, and eventually it's this overwhelming. That's what sin does. Sin is feed me Seymour. It is the plant that you feed a little bit and you think you can manage, but it just grows. I can see who's younger in the room. They were like, what? Seymour? <laughs> Who remembers feed me Seymour? Come on, speak to the elderly amongst us and the wise. And the... But it's this plant that, 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 that he feeds and it's, it just keeps eating and it gets bigger and bigger until it totally consumes and controls his life. That's what sin does. And he's gently said, church, you want to live in the abundance? Well, I'm going to give you something of a strategy today, right now, of how to walk into more abundance. Strip off all the things that so easily entangle, which is a decisive, intentional action. 
And even in our spiritual life, we get entangled. We, encamp- we, we accumulate stuff, spiritual junk that takes us down spiritual roads but doesn't necessarily bring us closer to Jesus. My journey is to be closer to Jesus so I can become like Jesus. My journey is not to get a bigger trunk full of spiritual accolades. Leave that stuff. And even in this time, God is calling us to fight for today's wins, today's battles. So strip off yesterday's wins. My victory, my bread is in Jesus daily. I believe there's something in that for us. Even financially, in terms of our times, in terms of our gift, that Jesus, can I trust you today? We live in a world where people, well, as long as my nest egg, as long as, and all that is real, and there's wisdom in some of those things. But my trust cannot be in those things. My trust is in today, Jesus. Today, you will provide. Today, Jesus, your kindness flows over me. Today, the abundance of which your word calls me to, I access today. So he challenged, says, strip down. And stripping down, I want to just take something of the life of Daniel. It has implications in itself. Number one, it, there's a vulnerability to stripping off. David had to strip off Saul's armor as he went into battle to fight Goliath. Saul said, here's my armor, and he puts it, and David's this like 16-year-old teenager walking around with this grown man's armor going, mm-mm. It's like me putting on Bucky's Boots' rugby scrum cap and walking onto a field game. This is probably not going to work. But there's a vulnerability to taking that armor off because you're more exposed. What about speed? It has an implication when we strip down where we have an ability to maneuver and to move. Well, leave the trailer behind. You can move forward faster. What about uh, simplicity? Less things get in the way. David said, I can take a sword, I can take a spear, I can take a javelin, or I can just take a little sling with five stones. Because this is what I know. This is what I'm good at. This is how I can kill a lion, a bear, and a giant. See, part of the abundance of God's grace to our lives is we can kill giants. Don't just think that was for a little guy on a battlefield one day who walked up in a nice story, so God had that in the Bible. No, I believe I believe every access to victories David had, I have. I believe you have. As you are covered by the blood of Jesus, he calls us into taking ground and having victories in the love and the blood and the abundance of Jesus. But he says, actually, how are you going to do that? Well, strip down. And lastly, humility. David was a king of a nation who at his coronation service, he, Samuel tells us he strips down to a linen ephod like the worshipers, like the praises were doing, and he worshiped with abandon to the point that Michal judged him. It takes humility to strip down sometimes. Maybe you've got to strip back lifestyle. Even when we come to moments like fasting, got to strip back things that keep our attention all the time. TV and social media, speaking to some people have cut social media out. Others have cut TV out of their world and their family time and are finding space. And all of a sudden we're, yes, I'm so busy. I have no time. I'm so tired. Well, when you go to bed an hour earlier because you're not watching series and you find you get order in your life, there's less chaos. Because when you sow peace, you get peace. And, and, uh, and, and I'm on that journey with you. And it's awesome. Why? Because I want to walk in the abundance that God has for me. And if that demands strip down a bit, get rid of a bit, simplify a bit. I want everything that Jesus has. And this is what, how the Apostle Paul puts it in Philippians. Verse, chapter 3, verse 17, says, But ever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. 
for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. It says actually everything else other than that which I get in Jesus is just garbage. Think about that compared to the rich young ruler who struggled. Jesus said, well, actually, won't you give it all away and come follow me? He says, well, it's not worth the value equation. doesn't work out in my head. Why? Because he didn't have a revelation of who Jesus really was, a God of abundance and life. The second encouragement from Hebrews is start running. Strip down, start running. He doesn't say strip down, start training to run one day. He doesn't say consider running one day. He says strip down. You want abundance? Strip down. Start running. And um, the greatest challenge in this is in the NRV, it puts it this way. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. I think the biggest challenge for most people is that thing, what's the race marked out for me? Either we wrestle it. I, I don't want this race. That's my portion right now. Whether it is family, kids, career. I, I, I like that race over there. And I think too many Christians, too often we start running races that aren't our race. And when you're running a race that isn't your race, you don't have the grace that you'll get given for your race. There's a whole lot of aces in there. But it's the truth. David had to take off Saul's way of fighting so he could run his race, defeat his Goliath. And I think sometimes we spend too much time living in other people's races or even desiring someone else's race, and we stop accessing the abundant grace that is available for our race that isn't there for someone else, but it is there for me. Run your race in your lane. Most people quit before the race has even begun. Fear is a factor. We, we, we look at the distance and, oh, one of my mates got a big race next weekend, and I'm going, oh, I don't know if I would start. My legs would hurt. We've got athletes in the room who are running hard. I'm going, whoa, I'm just, I just don't even sign up. It's easier that way. Just why register for the race? I've got another friend, he keeps registering for races and canceling, but that's a whole nother preach in itself. <laughs> or we look ahead and we go, wow, there's a lot of obstacles in that race. Anyone else, do the maths. Like, I, I look at stuff and I'm going, mm. there's a lot of obstacles, there's a, a lot of discouragement. Last time I did it, it didn't work out so well, so this time I'm not going to get in the race. And, 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 and the writer of Hebrews just writes to this church who are floundering a little bit. He says, strip down. Start running your race. Start running your race. What keeps us running? Well, number one, remembering the great cloud of witnesses. That there's this, we are running a race. We are given the mantle of the gospel in our generation. There are these witnesses he speaks of, and it's, it's, it's the heroes of the faith in Hebrews 11. It says, you're given these great cloud of witnesses, but beyond that, you are given something super powerful in the grace of God. And we run in these things. And lastly, we're given Jesus. He says, therefore, fix our eyes on Jesus. Why run your race? Why start running? And people, marriages, sitting at the start line, go, hmm, don't know if I'm going to run this one. Don't do it because marriage deserves it. Do it because of Jesus. You can't do it in your own strength. Sat with a man recently in trouble. 
said, actually, on your own strength, you're going to mess this up. You are going to lose your family. It's going to fall apart. And you are going to be at the center of all that chaos. But if you fix your eyes on Jesus and you place yourself in the grace of Jesus, you will find an abundant grace that can transform, restore, redeem any and every situation. That is what the gospel is. It's not a make my life slightly better. It's completely renew, restore the possibilities of what my life and your life could be. That is the gospel. And we water it down to something tangible, something smaller. No, run your race. I, 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 my 11-year-old little boy is born. At the end of the year, he, he runs with guys much bigger than him. I took a photo of him and his cricket team. He's under his opening bowler's arm. He's like, yeah. And I watched him run this race. He ran a 1,200-meter race, which I absolutely hated. Any amens in the room? Anyone else run 1,200? It's like the worst race in the world. You run race one, you're feeling good. Lap two, you're dead. Lap three, you're dying and trying to crawl where no one can see you. And I watched this little guy, and he comes around. And it's this. It's the neck. And every lap he comes out, I say, go, boy. And he looks at me like, shut up, Dad. I'm giving it a very And then some big long-legged fellow starts running next to him, and I see a little sprint coming. Why? Because that's his race. That's his opportunity. It's not someone else's. He was selected to run for his school in that race. That's his race. What's your race? Stop giving up your race, hoping for someone else's. If I just had someone else's marriage, if I just had someone else's career, if I, no, what's your race? And at the end of the race is Jesus. And that is the biggest prize. And then he, he challenges, says, never quit. He says, run with perseverance. It's an amazing thing. Too many people quit so close to the line. There's a story of Hagar in Genesis 21. It goes like this. Early in the morning, Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. He set them on her shoulders and then sent her off with the baby. She went on her way and wandered in the desert of Beersheba. When the water and the skin was gone, she put the boy under one of the bushes. Then she went off and sat down at a bow shot away, bow shot away, for her thought, I cannot watch the boy die. And as she sat there, she began to sob. God hearing the boy crying, and the angel of the Lord called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What is the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. So she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. How often is the water just there? We just can't see it. How often have we journeyed and walked and used every resource that we have in the natural? So we sit down, we just start crying, and we put life aside, and we put it under a tree and say, I can't actually watch it die, so it's easier for me to move away. But we just need to fix our eyes on Jesus in one voice from God. We see the wells that were there all the time, the wells of life, the wells of relationship, the wells of people in our lives. That's so often when stuff goes wrong, our natural inclination is like Adam and Eve is to hide. Bible says, no, 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 push in. There's wells. Unblock the wells. Let the Spirit of God come in. Some of the ways to, to keep that fight and to never quit will accept there's going to be challenge and trials. In this world, you will have tribulation, but take courage for I've overcome the world. That is truth. You're going to have some challenge. There's going to be some trials. There's going to be some heartbreak. But we don't quit because of it. We throw ourselves into the love and the abundance of Jesus. Stop running away from problems. 
The abundant love and of grace of Jesus means we run towards, we face, like Daniel, we charge into a battle. That is not a story for some other guy. I'm not that personality. No, there's a grace given to believers when they believe God to trust Him and fight. Simple, simple word. Something of a strategy for the abundant life. Strip down. What do you need to strip down, strip off in your life right now? What do you need to strip down? I was with a friend who's had to strip part of his business in the last recent while through circumstance. Now, well, sometimes God's in the move. And in the stripping, there's a releasing for new seasons and new fields to plow. That's the reality. Strip down. Start running. For some of us, that might literally mean running. But I'm not meaning that entirely in this context. I'm saying, what's your journey? Get on the road with Jesus. Church is just, it's, it's a starting block. It's a, okay, shoot me out. That's what church is. Church is not the race. Sunday is not the tick box. Sunday is just the starting block we get to inspire each other so we can run our respective races in different spheres and environments and never quit. How? Keep your eyes on Jesus. And I want to remind us that at the center of this message, there's a shepherd. There's a shepherd. Not just a king, not just a ruler, not just a lord, a shepherd. This is my shepherd. Three verses from Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Do you know your shepherd? Do you need a shepherd? This is David saying, that's my shepherd. I need a shepherd. It says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides quiet waters. You're feeling depleted of resources? You're feeling tired? Energy levels low? Well, he makes me lie down. In green pastures. Remember, this is not green pastures land. This is arid territory. This is desert land. It says, he finds green pastures for me, and he leads me there, and he makes me lie down. And he leads me besides quiet waters. I still have to drink. It just says, he leads me besides quiet waters. It doesn't say, you have to drink. He doesn't stick my head in the water and make me drink. He says, I'm going to lead you along ways where you can drink and find sustaining life and water that flows. But you've got to drink says, he refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. And a sheep gets, walks along paths, and a shepherd would walk those paths at night first. After securing the sheep, he would walk the paths and make sure the brambles were out the way and make sure there was enough water and salt along the way and sustaining fruit, a life for the sheep. And then he would walk back, and the next day, walk those sheep on the journey. You have a Savior who came to earth because he walked ahead of us in challenge and trial and temptation. And he said, everything you have been faced, I faced, so I can walk you on this journey. At the center and the core of accessing abundant life is settling that you're a sheep and Jesus is a shepherd. Not a hierarchy in church, a truth about who he is. I'm a sheepy. I follow Jesus. He is my guide. He is my light. And when I start singing songs like all to Jesus, I surrender. Then I start accessing abundant life. I start believing the promises of his word. I start being astounded again and afresh that Christianity and my walk with Jesus is not my Sunday habit, but my every desire leading me to living waters where I can drink 
in a dry land. Because Christians, believers in Jesus, disciples of Jesus, He is your source. Himself. Not His way, His religion, Him. And that is the privilege that we have to worship Jesus. Can we stand together this morning? Spirit of God, you are here. Thank you for every person here this morning. Thank you that these moments are starting blocks to run a race. Strip down. It's going to take courage. What we sang about courage this morning, we said he makes me brave. Strip down. Start running. It's going to take some endeavor. It's going to stretch some muscles. It's going to be a price. But start running by fixing your eyes on Jesus and never quit. You want to quit? Overwhelmed by emotions you cannot control? Never quit. Your marriage, average. And so maybe you've just settled, and as a couple, you've settled that average is okay. I want to tell you, average does not equal abundance. And Jesus said, I've got abundance for you. And in the gifts upon your life, circumstance, situation, disappointment, don't settle. Say, Jesus, these gifts are for you. They're for your kingdom. So I'll strip down. I'll start running. And I'll never quit. So that you would get all the glory, King. I pray your grace upon every person. Yeah, I pray as we give our attention to your promise that it's not just life, but life in abundance that you give. I ask for miracles to happen. Your word says miracles follow the preaching of the word. I ask for miracles. Miracles in marriages. Miracles in life. Miracles in healing. Miracles in jobs and provision. Miracles, God, because you're a miracle working God. So we worship you, God. And as we pray and fast, we say, God, open up the heavens. Open up the heavens. That we, your people, may worship you, may praise you, and may be witnesses to the miraculous. God of heaven moving in power. And God, I take this moment now to pray for this pioneering moment tonight as we plant a church in the city. I lift up all the team involved, but mostly I lift up those who are considering coming, those who, the duns, who are done with church, done with Jesus. I pray, bring the duns in to church. I ask for those who are worshiping other gods, who think they found life. I pray, shepherd lead them, shepherd call them, shepherd woo them. This is not about church advancement, church growth. This is about those who are dead coming to life again in you. And I ask with every bit of passion and zeal inside of me, Jesus, bring home the lost. Bring home the broken. Bring home the arrogant, the proud. Bring them home to you, Jesus. To you, Jesus. Every seed that has been sown, 187 years of intercessors praying, 187 years of prayers and preachers about the name of Jesus. I pray, God, as we step into that place, we get to step into, onto the shoulders of those who've gone before. Presbyterian doesn't matter. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. So we say, Jesus be exalted. Jesus be glorified. Jesus be magnified. Oh, we love you, Jesus. Can you say that with me? We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. We do, God. We worship you, King. Amen.